0: There is a bone in Gilead to make the wound.
1: sojourn in your tent, who shall dwell on your holy hill, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up your reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Psalm fifteen in the ESV
2: Well, hello and welcome to a Balm in Gilead podcast. I'm Grant Baker, one of the hosts here, and I'm Obama. Brian Emerson and I am the other host. That's right. Okay. Uh, yep. This week at least. <laughs> Oh dear Uh, Don't leave me alone Brian (laughs) You're the heart and soul here Um, And the brains Yes I I readily admit that But at least you're the Um, strength uh, Maybe Uh, I mean Who can be impressed with a guy who knows What prosody means I'm very impressed
1: I appreciate Your impression
2: All right. Well, um, so we have some uh, feedback actually for the sto- for for the show, uh, which I'm very excited about. And um, let's see, the uh, person who left this is Laura, and she left it on um, on iTunes review here called "Wisdom and Discernment," five stars, which we always appreciate you sharing your thoughts with us. So please reach out, um, leave a review join us on slack email us at thereis@balmcast.com uh or you can be like Laura and leave us a great five star review and we'll go ahead and read that now it says wisdom and discernment is the title and it says our churches and christian radio stations are full of popular contemporary christian music but are they biblically correct Brian and Grant talk about hit Christian songs and go through their lyrics, revealing which songs have biblical truths and which have false theology, an excellent tool for music ministers, which, wow, that's awesome. I am not ordained. I am not a minister. I've not been to, um, theology college. Um, but Brian, you, you, I understand half, which is good.
1: Yes. I, I at least have been to seminary. Uh, I have been licensed, but I've never been ordained. Um, all that means is that I did once get to marry a couple of cool kids in my living room. That was fun, uh, <laughs> but yeah, Laura is uh, one of my friends from church. And awesome. Uh, so we love friends you. from church. Thank you, Laura W. Three Two Nine. I will not reveal your last name unless you send us an email and let me know that I can reveal your last name, like Miss Karen Greenfield, who has emailed us again, and I really appreciate her emails every time. I always look forward to getting those. Of, sure. of which she has written us an email, which, awesome. I, which I I'll read. Uh, she okay. wrote, she wrote, uh, I've been seeing a lot of posts about this. And so I'm grateful she's referring to, uh, our last episode. I appreciate Brian's comments near the end, encouraging us to sing out if it's already paid for. Uh, Would it be fair to say that there's a heavier burden for the worship leader to pick appropriate music than individuals at home, because the worship leader is also discipling us? And here's a question for the worship leader. When do we say something? As a congregant, I try to understand how hard it is to choose music. I try to give positive feedback and show my appreciation when in church physically I use my comment card. But when is it appropriate to voice concerns? And by the way, I don't have any right now. So I appreciate that she was honest and that she, uh, said that she didn't have any concerns right now. Uh, I don't uh, pick the music for our church, but, um, my friend Adam does, and he is very discerning in the way that he goes about doing that. So I did want to note it, to note that, um, And so I responded uh, to her through email, and I said, uh, those are some very fantastic questions. The burden definitely falls on the worship leader to use discernment when choosing songs as well as educating and discipling their congregation. When a worship leader chooses a song, the church pays the royalties. We don't have to worry about royalties at that point because the church has paid for the royalties already. However, if you go home and make a playlist of the songs we sang that week, Spotify or YouTube pays royalties every time you play the song. So some burden does fall on you to have your own discernment. Uh, Now concerning the idea of when do you speak up, that is very tricky. I was once church disciplined uh, when I spoke up concerning the theology of the music uh, that our church chose. I had been a deacon in that church and worked in the nursery every week. Plus, I was technically part of the music ministry. And I'd say all this in opposed to someone who was like a first-time visitor that had no connection with the church at all. So someone that was new to the church, you know, their voice wasn't going to, shouldn't be heard, shouldn't be listened to as much as someone who was very dedicated like I had been. If you feel like you need to speak up, generally speaking, you should. But it should be done in love, as a devoted and engaged member of the congregation even then you should walk carefully and know that it might not end well music is such is such a strange strong and sneaky idol to many even in those even to those in ministry so i just wanted to uh to talk about that especially with the idea of i hadn't thought about this but like um if you listen if you do a spotify playlist with a song in it that you don't appreciate or whatever like we have made some Spotify playlist and we have told you, Hey, go listen to this song. <laughs> um, yes. Royalties are still paid, but uh, you having listened to the context of this podcast, you understand that we are trying to get you to listen to the examples in order to help you with your discernment and doing that will, will require royalties to be paid to those people. And so as i said last week as well the royalties argument if our church does it they're not getting paid a lot and if four of our listeners go and actually listen to the song on that playlist they're not getting a lot of money it's not they're not getting enough to actually um to actually do anything with that money but um it's it's tricky we do want you to use discernment we do want you to exercise that discernment and there's not an easy way to do that legally Without you actually paying the royalties to the people So I just wanted to kind of talk about that So um, The music minister Picking the songs Often people might go home and make a playlist And then even more royalties will then be paid To the songwriters So that argument There's a lot to it
2: Yeah Awesome Well, um, thank you so much, uh, Karen Greenfield, for writing in. We really appreciate it. Um, Before we get into our last bit of feedback, I did want to point out that if you join us on Slack, we do have another way that you can provide us feedback, and that is through the postal mail, um, which (laughs) is (laughs) a great joke. I've actually enjoyed – I I got a letter from Chris Ragsdale – fairly recently and uh finally got in mail some mail back out to him but um if you want to write us um please join us on slack and we'll uh and sometimes
1: one host accidentally releases (laughs) the personal information of the other host onto the slack channel
2: oh my word uh i didn't mind it was fun and uh i i gotta say it was i'm looking at the card that uh chris sent me and it's it's a It's a, uh, image of Calvin here, John Calvin, and it is wonderful. So thank you so much, Chris, for sending that in.
1: Um, So a short backup to, to help listeners understand why I died laughing. Um, (laughs) Mr. Grant sent me a picture personally through a text message of the cover of a magazine that uh, yeah. uh, that had uh, Gilead Sciences was on the cover of this magazine, and they were being praised as having had forethought. And at least uh, somebody was thinking at least ahead. somebody was thinking ahead. And someone else didn't actually notice that this was a personal magazine of said <laughs> Grant Baker, and just thought it was a picture that he sent me, and I just posted it publicly onto oh, a man. public website. Uh, and uh, you're you're cool, man. Yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mind at all. Um, but yeah, seriously, uh, uh, it was really fun getting postal mail too. So yep. if you would like, join us in Slack and uh, and write us. So we did have a little bit of feedback, which is more like personal reflection. Yeah, um, because the feedback is actually coming from me. Uh, and <laughs> yes, <laughs> which is wife the best is feedback laughing in the background. Oh man, uh, it was it was the best kind of feedback. Uh, the feedback when you realized that you had more to say that you could not say on the chase. anyway cut to the chase grant we were talking last time about um the songs that you want sung on your deathbed and we we're using that kind of as a part for the whole of life suffering you know like what are the kinds of songs uh that you can turn to in times of good times and also um, very horrible times um and uh very dire times uh And you had mentioned about oceans Mm -hmm. being recommended by a pastor of yours at one point in time. And I guess I didn't have a great response at that time um, because I'm just not a fast thinker. Uh, Remember Brian is the brains of the organization. That is true. And so in, in, in the two weeks hence I had begun thinking about that a little bit and uh, what i kind of came back with was in what way and what truths are communicated in that song what is what does this song rest your hope in and when you think about the lyrics which are um, about walking on water and succeeding where peter failed and uh just sort of this you know mystical kind of power yeah being led um, where that feet can, you can never wander Right.
1: Where your faith can be Uh, made stronger.
2: Yeah. It, it's not, it it does not give one. I would think any kind of lasting hope. We'll get back into lasting hope and what it is and what it isn't a little bit later. I'm teasing our, one one of our uh, segments coming up here, but so stay tuned, please. And what is this? So song rest your hope. And it's, it's not altogether clear it doesn't say jesus and lest we become the kind of podcast that just hates on one song i do want to say we have issued a challenge yes so to speak and that challenge is what 20 songs do you want sung on your deathbed by your loved ones and again we're not looking for just your deathbed we're you know it's kind of a um, a synecdoche, which is one of our favorite words here at the Palm yeah, of Gilead. My favorite city in New York, yes, spelled the same way. In any case, uh, some of the things just off the top of my head, some of the songs I came up with were the doxology, um, you know, several of the psalms, Psalm 23. Uh, you know, you think about that as one of these psalms that is so called overplayed, but I don't. I don't think so. It's, um, you know, it resets where your hope is. It resets um, uh, who is in command, who is in charge. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's funny. I remember being at work and COVID was just starting to heat up um, because we were still at work. And uh, we, we just kind of spontaneously started... Sp- Quoting the 23rd Psalm. And it was just this really interesting, weird moment where I don't work for a Christian company. I, I mean, I work in Oklahoma City, the heart of the Bible Belt. Several of my uh, co workers do go to church. But the fact that we would turn to the 23rd Psalm uh, from memory and in that moment was uh, uh, telling, I will say, yeah. that these are the kinds of things that we want to bleed. So to speak, when we're cut.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For
2: me personally,
1: like yeah. last year I got yeah, to Yeah, you lived this, man. I lived this. Yeah, we we sang all sorts of songs over my daughter as she passed. And um hmm. we uh at her funeral we played um played three songs. We we played How Great Thou Art, which is an incredibly difficult and sobering song to play at a funeral. Hmm. Uh we played um the song, uh, We Will Feast in the House of Zion by Sandra McCracken. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. just says that future day, you know, I, we we will feast with Christ, but we will also feast together. We will, uh, you know, we are the bride of Christ. And in the final day, the entire bride will be reunited. And, uh, you know, we also played uh, Hideaway in, in the Love of Jesus uh, by uh, Stephen Vicky Cook. And uh, yeah and so that that song i mean i had nowhere else to hide but in the love of jesus in that moment and so you know, having actually lived you know this this moment um uh, you know we we weren't going to sing oceans and reckless love you know in raise a hallelujah those songs don't carry eternal weight not not nearly in the same way as Hymns that have stood the test of time But also from sources That are incredibly reputable That are from people who Devote their lives to the study Of the scripture and To the philosophy of worship And say what you will About Sandra McCracken or about Sovereign Grace Ministries But You know, they Don't, I don't agree with them 100% theologically But they are definitely you know they love Jesus and they are living the scriptures and they are um you know they they are following the commands and you can tell by the overflow
2: some other songs that we were mentioning too i remember that that came up when we were kind of briefly kicking this topic mm-hmm. around were uh the deep deep love of Jesus mm-hmm. um that is a beautiful you poem of resting in in god's love resting love that is uh greater than than anything um oh the deep deep love of jesus um vast unmeasured and i going yeah rolling boundless
1: as free. a mighty yeah. ocean and it's mm-hmm. in its fullness over me
2: yeah um yeah and uh someday when you and i get together uh in person We're we will sing, sing and yeah. maybe we maybe we should maybe we should sing some of these songs i think that's a good i'd well, love that what well, Wondrous love is
1: this is one of my absolute yes. favorite songs um mm-hmm. uh, come thou fount mm-hmm. of every blessing mm-hmm. is a is another one that's that's very high
2: we we actually sang come thou fount at my wedding it's a good choice um yeah for sure I'm now found of every blessing <sighs> prone to wander. Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God. Mm-hmm. I love here's my heart to so take and seal it, seal it for Thy courts above. Um, yeah. Uh, powerful music. There's powerful hymns, Psalms that come to mind, uh, that I grew up singing and you grew up singing yes. and, uh, it Absolutely. worked its way into, uh, our psyche and have formed us i would say in at least me um in, in a different way than i think people are being formed today yeah and um, and i wanted to say one more thing about this
1: particular challenge and why we set it up the way that we did um yeah your your family your loved ones they're not going to learn these songs at your deathbed um you know they're not going to have the time to sit there and learn the songs they're not going to have the materials with them. These are songs that they're gonna to have to bring with them from memory. And so in order to do that, you have to teach your your loved ones these these songs. You know, they have to be part of your of your family culture. They have to be uh sung weekly, monthly, annually, even daily in in your in your house and uh and in order for in order for this challenge to take hold. And so this is this is designed to just get you to think What songs have the weight The spiritual weight That you really want your family To take with them And uh
2: Yeah So uh That's very weighty So with that we You can submit your 20 songs by email mm-hmm. Yeah good way e- Email is uh, a great so way e- Email there is at balmcast.com is the email. Or you can drop it in our Slack channel. We'd love to hear Slack what channel. what your twenty songs are. Um and, Yeah, we'll probably put something together. You can yes, you can post all to mail us directly. We uh, love hearing from you and enjoy uh adding that to our show. You can leave it as a five star review. You can you can do that too. <laughs> <laughs> There's plenty of ways that
1: you can get these songs to us. Um, and that is very weighty, very kind of difficult topic, and so we we do want to segue into something a bit more light and fluffy. When I think of two words, two words that describe this podcast, it's light and fluffy. Um, no we <laughs> we are starting a brand new segment on this show. Oh dear! And it is called okay the Bomb of Galahad satire. <laughs>
2: Thank you, listener Jim.
1: Yes, thank you, listener Jim, who could never get the name of our show right, probably intentionally. Co-host
2: of flogging.
1: <laughs> and so we named this the Bomb of Galahad as a segment, and it is kind of like the Babylon Bee, but not as good because I wrote it. All right. Well, I don't know. This first one's pretty. This first pretty one. Tasty. I, this and it's just going to be all downhill from here. So he- <laughs> headline.
2: Because I'll be writing them. All right, yes. brains, get to it.
1: Headline, cyber terrorists hacked into Chick-fil-A's radio, changing the CCM Muzak to popular secular love songs. As, oh. the, as the nation's economy began to reopen and Chick-fil-A lobbies once again allowed guests to enter, people realized that something was different. The familiar instrumental tunes the guests had grown to love had been changed. This change was not the work of a clever marketing scheme, but rather the work of cyber terrorist hackers. These cyber terrorists hacked into Chick-fil-A's streaming radio database and replaced the entire CCM Muzak playlist with instrumental versions of secular love songs. (laughs) Instead of In the Light, Oceans, and Shine, guests were subjected to songs like Taylor Swift's Cinderella Story, Ed Sheeran's Perfect, and Journey's Midnight Train. It is unclear whether guests noticed the depth of the change, but many reported enjoying the new playlist through their survey responses. The new songs were great, one guest noted. Another posed the question, would you release the titles of this new playlist? I would like to let my worship pastor know of this new material. The executives of Chick-fil-A no. in charge of maintaining the Musac database continued to work 24-6, trying to get <laughs> to the bottom of the sophisticated attack. However, it is worth noting that by some flaw in the hacker's algorithm, the new playlist still includes Jamie Grace's I Love the Way You Hold Me.
2: <laughs> oh, Brian. Um, so how do you know so much about Chick-fil-A? Man. Yeah,
1: I... I- <laughs> I know, do, I know, you get tired
2: of these songs? I get so tired of songs.
1: Someone asked me the other day if we turned them off during the during the pandemic, and we didn't. Like, no. I know how to. Still playing. I can go straight into the office and I can turn it all off. Like, not a, not a problem at all. But nobody has thought to do that, so we still have the Muse Act going in the bathrooms, in the lobby. It's there. So I just wanted you all to know that that was part of part of the uh, the thought behind this was how. I've still been listening to wow, all of this that, music every day.
2: I do find it yeah, that I find it very funny that you just there there must have been something eerie with an empty Chick-fil-A just playing, you know. Quietly in the background. Oh yeah. I'd be watching my six.
1: Yeah. Oceans almost always plays when I go to pee.
2: Uh, is that on purpose? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. What I don't know. That? Somebody needs to do a survey. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yep. All right. So if, we, uh, anyway, uh, we, we yes. will we will print <clears throat> this and we will put this on our website. We are planning on starting a tab for our satire segments. We hope to put yes. maybe one up a month. Um, if you have any ideas, if you want to pitch headlines, feel free. If you feel like writing. Uh, so you can send that to us uh, through our email address. there is at balmcast.com. Uh, we are not in competition with the bee. We just we think that the bee would probably appreciate reading something
2: else. <laughs> Sounds like a plan, man Sounds like a plan. So we have a topic for you tonight. We uh, have It's several topics for you today. Bah, bah, bah. So like I like to say, Buckle up. Uh, Chris Seahorn writes in and he provides uh, links to two of these. And one of them I'm going to uh, kind of take here and we can kick it around a little bit. Yeah. But um, he is, uh, it, it, which I'm entitling yet another deconversion story that makes you wonder just how, what he de- deconverted from. Uh, and it's uh, with the recent news that, the front man for Hawk Nelson has decided to stop believing in God. And his name is John Steingard and on uh, Instagram from May 20. And interestingly enough, he got 25,240 likes for this particular post. Heretofore, I mean, 648, 368, 354 one cannot wonder if this was a stunt but i digress and i doubt it i like I, I really don't think that's true um but i do find it interesting that this is the kind of thing that people like um so just to kind of cover the did you listen to hot nelson by the way growing up i got their first two albums
1: uh, which okay. oddly enough okay. Did not have John Stein mm-hmm. as the lead singer. Um, yeah, uh, he
2: was only the lead singer from 2012 to 2018, which is when their last album came out.
1: Yeah, and uh, and so this band's been together for about 20 years, and so that's maybe... I, I'm, I'm guessing that the songs that he sang were, were... I know Drops in the Ocean was, I think, one of the ones that he did. I, th- I think Words yeah. was one of theirs, and Crazy Love. Um, and so... When they first started they were a lot more like Reliant K They were uh, just kind of Teenage punk Mm -hmm. band
2: Yeah I remember them being like Oh yeah kind of like If you like Reliant K you might like like Hawk Hawk Nelson Nelson. Yeah Uh, Okay a quick look uh, A quick uh, gallivant, if you will Through my list of music And I have a sum total Of one song by them, uh the one thing I have left uh and it is on an album well, i don't know what album it was it's on a um like a compilation album okay. called one Dark Summer I'm almost certain I got this for free. <laughs> I have no idea where uh other things on here are Anne Berlin do you remember them i do remember Anne, Bo- Anne berlin paper thin hymn. Uh, apparently I've listened to that one the most on this particular CD and thumbs d- up it. Nice. Uh, I had no feelings about, um, uh, about, uh, Hawk Nelson. I listened to the song twice, apparently, yep. according to Google. Anyway, that's not important. What is important is that, um, he, let's see, uh, he, wrote a he's okay so he's the kind of guy who back in 2020 he decided he was going to write a book about the year and he started like doing these this fake post-it note with this fake handwriting type stuff on it like mm-hmm. that is posting a provocative statement like yeah the one right before it was there is only forward be here you have limits and that's okay you know things like this and then You kind of scroll through, and it's really more of a blog than anything. Um, Although uh, it looks like, you know, I'm not – I'm an an hour-long expert about this guy. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? (laughs) I
1: remember texting you like a few hours ago saying, hey, do you want to take the lead on the Hawk Nelson story?
2: (laughs) Hey, uh, but I I did. I mean, like I I went through his uh, Instagram feed, and it looks like he was doing some like motion graphics and – videography type work, uh, maybe for other bands and for their, uh, their video, you know, the uh, music mm-hmm. videos and things like that. So, uh, but starting in 2020, he just started this new thing and that's, that's all he's doing. And then this one kind of breaks the format a little bit and just, you know, spends nine, uh, Instagram. Yeah. Read... Uh, photos worth scrolling through. I read the first uh, one and a half. How he, And
1: then I realized, oh, there's like 8 billion of these. I'm not going to get to the end of this.
2: Yeah. 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 There's a lot. So just to kind of sum it all up, um, he grew up in a Christian home. He grew up the son of a pastor. Uh, Familiar story so far. Yeah. To my own. Uh, He married a girl. Uh, His wife's dad is a pastor as well. And kind of grew up in the Christian subculture joined Hawk Nelson when he was about 20 years old. Uh, he grew up doing all the things that a Christian back then did. And he, you know, this, this included going on youth mission trips. Mm-hmm. Um, it included things like uh, going to church, going to youth, things like that. Yeah. All the typical things that uh, you... You think of in in the Christian subculture. Probably things that you and And, I both did. Yeah, yeah. uh, Very much so. And then all of a sudden, one day, he came across some things in the Bible that were concerning. He uh, began to ask the big question that everybody asks uh, when they face uh, hardship or something like that. If God is all good, all powerful, how can he you know how can there be evil in the world, or you know structure that any way you like, but if he's all good, well, then obviously you know maybe he's not powerful enough to stop evil, but if he's all powerful, mm-hmm. maybe he's not all good right um and very classic classically framed, but you know he was told to read the Bible, and this would tell him you know the answers, and it didn't i I guess he didn't see in there. A room for a God who is much bigger than he is and has reasons for suffering, which I, I just feel really, you know, it's just, it feels like such a, it's a very difficult question in some senses when you're going through tragedy. It, it is a very difficult question,
3: mm-hmm.
2: but if you're asking this kind of thing in the classroom, there's plenty of great answers. And, Apparently, he didn't find them satisfying. And he compared this kind of period of his life to a sweater slowly unraveling and his post on May the 20th as finally realizing that there's no sweater left. Now, he fully admits um, a couple of times in here that the reason he kind of delayed putting this out there was he was afraid of losing fame and fortune um, and you know exiting the Christian music scene. Um, and I, you know, I have no idea what will become of this. But um, he realized that, you know, it's been a long time uh, since he has uh, released an album, and it's been a long. And so he just kind of feels like now's maybe the time. Which uh, I just find a little strange. That okay, so you're going to claim Christ as long as it suits your needs, and when that no longer is fulfilling you, then you can maybe indulge some of your, your, your doubts about Christianity. It's just very strange to me that he would do that. He even talked about pushing the band back in the day to become more of a uh, explicit Christian band. He very much keeps referring back to the song drops in the ocean. Mm -hmm. um, As uh, kind of a proof if you will of you know look i was a real christian see um and you know says hey you should google the lyrics to uh bring Him out which is one of their earlier songs uh and compare that to drops in the ocean uh so I, I, if you indulge me i did yeah. pull both of those up and bring Him out is um basically all about like girls and boys uh, let's see all the girls and the boys and people making noise just let me hear you shout bring them out bring them out oh yeah that was um, um, i remember that one yeah you remember that one yeah and um you know a, a secular type song
1: yeah i mean think of like 17 magazine from reliant k like on their first album yeah i mean it's that it, you can write you can hey as a christian you can write type three music it's
2: okay uh, all the girls and the boys and people making noise just let me hear you shout bring them out bring them out pump up your fist and if you twist like this so the lights go out bring them out bring them out um it repeats um katie i don't know why i even try because lately you're always out with other guys pretty baby don't You know, I'll treat you right. I'll go crazy if you pass me up tonight. Hey, 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 hey. Uh, And it goes on from there, you know, and he encourages you to kind of compare that now to uh, the, um, I I don't know, he refers to this one quite a bit. And uh, even in some of his older posts, like his older posts, I will say, don't really ever speak about God. But one that kind of, I guess, was the closest to it was a picture of him performing uh, somewhere, I can't remember where, and it was like, hey, it's like, um, you know, thousands of your friends all screaming drops in the ocean at the top of their lungs, that kind of thing. And so, again, you see kind of this this hype, this revivalistic kind mm-hmm. of tendency um, is is maybe – I'm not saying it was, but it just – feels a lot like that's what this faith was based in yeah and ooh, oh time for bed sorry about that it <laughs> it is 9 45 i'll probably sleep in tomorrow anyway uh so i'm going to read you drops in the ocean
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh and it says i want you as you are not as you ought to be um brian mhm That's just the first line. Yeah. Does that, is that love song or a praise song? It's a love song because
1: it's not scripture. (laughs) I mean, be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect.
2: Well, that's not exactly what I think this is uh, saying here. It says, I want you as you are, not as you ought to be. Uh, Won't you lay down your guard and come to me? The shame that grips you now is crippling. It breaks my heart to see you suffering. Uh, that's nice. Brian, if we were to run this up, uh well, I mean, it's something. Uh if we were run to run the uh, and again, I've never heard this song, like Oh, you've I, never
1: heard I, this song? I, no.
2: <laughs> I don't think so. I'm oh, embarrassed. I've, I'm, I've heard I'm this song Spotify so right times. now. Um Oh, Charlie Parr, if you haven't heard anyway, uh that's a whole nother topic. Um I, I i will look it up, but yeah, it was huge if we were to when run it first this came through out. is it was it really, yeah, oh yeah, this so, is a huge song Uh, then I must have heard it, I mean, I must have i i've been drops in the and it like fills it right in, yeah, it knows what I'm looking for um wow, okay, well, I mean, I will have to listen to that because um. Yeah, I had no idea, but apparently this was this is kind of what he holds up as as proof that he was the a, a real legitimate Christian. Like he, you know, compare this song to my other uh, to this other song, and uh, it it talks about later on. And I am for you. I'm not against you. I am for you. I'm not against you. Which is a very if,
1: loose translation of. If you want a. to it's know right
2: how far my love can go? More than the drops in the ocean. Man, that was good. Thank you. Oh, is it that song? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've I've heard it. Okay. Well, I'm glad
1: so, I'm glad that I could jog your memory.
2: Yeah. The the whoa oh my voice is shot by the way today, so it's <laughs> cracking all over the place. But yeah, that is that that okay. I know what song you're talking about. But okay. I, I what I see from this is evidence, not of necessarily a changed heart as much as a Jesus who somehow loves you just the way you are and isn't going to demand too much of you because he's for you. And if you just want to see how far my love can go, just how deep, how wide, you know, look at my hands, look at my side. I died for you. And, this is true but mm-hmm. it it sidesteps things
1: like very important things
2: <laughs> be holy as your uh, as the as 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 god is holy um or it, or sin in general or by... sin yeah it doesn't mention sin one time it it does say our one of our favorite words shame yeah shame is
1: better than fear But it's, yeah,
2: still. But shame Um, is still a feeling. It is still a feeling. Shame is a feeling. Uh, It doesn't even talk about guilt. Guilt is not a feeling. It is a legal, well, you know, it's a where you stand. You know, this is where you are. Uh, You are guilty or you are not guilty. Um, It doesn't matter if you feel guilty. If you feel guilty, that would be shame. Uh, In any case, that is probably a little bit further Not, than i need to go but no i think that's great um
1: so one thing that i notice right away yeah is that he when he's making this argument just look at the, look at how I'm, direct, how I'm directing this band i'm making more decisions to become more christian in the right. message that we're giving according to his definition of christianity but right. that's the whole like that's that's kind of based on my entire premise of this whole like Type 3 music is disappearing And Type 2 music is trying to get as close To Type 1 music as possible Like He is backing that that Theory up He is saying that I have been trying to get the band To be more Christian And why does he want the band To be more Christian you may ask
2: Well he said it (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't leave you Wondering He wants Um, to make money He wants to make money Yes That's what he says. (laughs) (laughs) And I just find that really interesting. Really, it's just, um, I I don't know. I'm almost shocked at the bald-facedness with which he kind of says some of this stuff. Um, And I wonder, does he understand what he's saying? Um, And I don't know. And so... Uh, Romans 8:31 uh, which
1: says, "If God is for you, who can be against you? Um, Paul is, has a very specific audience with in whom he is writing to. He is writing to the church in Rome. It says so in Romans 1:1 1, 1, uh, that he is writing to the church in Rome. He is not writing to the general public. He is not writing to whoever may be listening to the radio station. He is, uh, he's writing to a very specific group of people and these people all claim to be Christians. And so when John Steingard is singing in the voice of God, mind you, uh, mm. I am for you. I am not against you. He's not, he has not directed anyone. He has not you know, used Pauline rhetoric to say to the church in Rome, he is just addressing whoever might be listening. Uh, Mm -hmm. I am for you I'm not against you And uh, In This band Throughout a lot of these interviews That you and I read They refer to that They they, they keep saying God is still for him I know that God is still for him
2: Yeah It's almost like that's what their hope is in In sort of this kind of false Understanding of sin Salvation and um what the Bible actually means when it says that God is for us. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I hurt for the guy, I hurt mm-hmm. for the band, and mm-hmm. I would encourage you, you know, there might be some listeners out there who maybe are uh dealing with some of these very difficult questions. And he he almost he, he comes out and says like he, he kind of addresses that in one of his follow-up posts. Did you really dig in? Did you really think about this? is kind of questions he's heard apparently. And he's like, oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I've read books. I've read the Bible. You know, I've prayed a lot. And uh, apparently what part of it was, was he began talking with friends and family, very close friends and family, who admit that they have a lot of the same kind of, uh, feelings and thoughts about this, and kind of what has almost sealed the deal for him really is that he really thinks that God, like he, he I'm going to quote him because I don't I don't want to yeah. make I I don't want to say like look Grant you're making things up but my my prayer in recent days has been God if you're there please show up I mean it sincerely so far I don't feel feel like I've been answered. My door remains open. Um, I'd want to press him on that. What do you mean by that? But it seems to me that if the notion of God was clear and obvious, we would all believe exactly the same thing. We don't argue over whether gravity is real or not. Anyone can on earth can look up at the moon and agree that it's there. No one has ever had a theological debate about the existence of lettuce if God is there, I wish He was more like that—like lettuce. And then he goes on. If I find myself before Him someday, I would want to ask Him, "Why couldn't You have been more obvious? Why all the mystery? Why all the silence?" And so, and, and he's kind of like come back to that in his in his own mind. I guess he knows people that would say, uh, "For many of you who." Believe, i'm sure you want to passionately respond but he is obvious he does speak he is not silent and then he's like if that's how you feel i've no desire to take it away i simply have yet to experience it myself experience it myself millions and millions of us haven't it. it seems to me that if he was obvious and clear it would not be the case and that is I, I don't know one of the saddest lines you know faith yeah. There is based in uh, an experience, uh, almost like a second anointing or something like that, maybe, yeah. uh, like the Keswick Convention type folks, um, or just sort of a wishy-washy evangelicalism that's more about kind of the hype and the the show, if you will, um, like medieval Catholics, yeah, all about the pomp and circumstance and the uh, you know uh, the mystery of it all, almost. Um, And yet he's also wanting like uh, sure answers, but yet the way he's looking at the whole thing is just very backwards. And he he just assumes that God being obvious enough, everybody should be a Christian. There's almost this idea that um, it's got to be one way or the other. God, you have to act like this. Mm -hmm. And I'm not feeling this way. Therefore, you do not exist. And I want to say, if you are in that boat, um, reach out to reach out to a good pastor um, near you, somebody uh, who really can help walk with you through uh, these questions, because there are very good answers. There are very um, there is a reason that we can believe. And if you're asking these types of things, if you're wondering these types of things, uh, don't base your hope don't base your trust in these kinds of things. This is water and you need to be, um, have more faith in, in, in Christ Jesus. Um, And so I would have very, and and in truth rather, uh, and and not in feeling. So please um, talk to, talk to some people um, about that as especially a good solid pastor near, near you. But yeah, like you were saying, I, I I just hurt for the band. I hurt for this guy, and I, I don't know. I guess we'll keep our eye yeah. on him a little bit, but and, uh, I'm sure he'll go the way of you know all the rest of them. Right, that have these deconversion stories, collect their paycheck, and move on. But and the I don't know the other three guys
1: in the band in these interviews they they said um they they keep kind of clinging hope to this hope. Uh, found mm-hmm. from Romans ten thirteen. Romans ten thirteen 13 says for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And they keep, they've said, yeah, he is called on the name of the Lord. So he must be saved. Yeah. But yeah.
2: automatic, it's just sort of like, he's right. The like,
1: like it's this magic words, but they are ignoring mm-hmm. Matthew seven twenty one, which says, uh,
2: not everyone who
1: says to me, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the mm-hmm. one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. And those were the words of Jesus uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. He, uh, and I know that those two particular verses have driven a lot of people crazy because of the way they seemingly contradict one another. But the truth of it is for everyone who legitimately calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But someone who just prays a prayer trying to make it magic words will not necessarily Mm -hmm. be saved. And those are two, those two concepts. Go very well hand in hand, and that's uh what seemingly uh, John Steingart has done. He had at one point tried to say the magic word, the Lord, Lord, but that does not mean he is saved.
2: And right. the band he talks about it getting swept up into yeah.
1: Christianity. And so and so the band is clinging to this false hope. But what all of it seems like to me is that what who he believed in, who John Steingard put his faith and trust in was the god of universalism and yeah. it doesn't seem that the rest of the band is on a different track it seems mm-hmm. like they have also put their faith and trust in the god of universalism and mm-hmm. uh and so that is is very terrifying as well and how many bands out there are putting their faith and trust in the god of universalism which is a condemned right. heresy uh yeah God is not a God of universalism God is not going to save all He will save the elect And um, You can't say that That everyone will get to heaven One day it's, it, You just can't say that There are people who don't want to go to heaven There are people who hate God so much That they would rather be in hell And God isn't going to necess, uh, Necessarily Save them because he has to Save everyone and it's a it's a very tricky situation. I pray for John Steingard to realize that the God of Universalism was his sweater and that sweater is gone. But yeah. that the rightfully so but that the true God of the Bible is is there ready and and willing to give him a new clothes, that new clothes of white. Uh, mm. mm-hmm. and righteousness robes, yeah. And uh and so that is that is our prayer for him, for Marty Samson, for Joshua Harris for all those guys, uh, Dustin Kinsaro. Um, we pray for for their reconversions. Uh, but we have two more stories to get to, and not all We've night get to them, and not all night to record them.
0: Uh, this second <laughs>
1: story is also from listener Chris Seahorn, who goes to my Thanks church you, Chris. as well. He's in my small group. I like Chris. He's a cool guy. And um, I need to make it up there, my, and my, I will meet all of you and yes, shake your hands when we're is, allowed to do so. Is highly represented in today's follow up. By the way, this entire episode Appreciate is basically follow up. We're just we're just following <laughs> up on what people have given us. Um, so um, this uh, so this story is is very political in nature. Uh, it's uh, we, we live in a crazy world where even theology podcasts need to talk about politics anyway uh i have a lot of this scripted out so i'm probably just going to read as as i have this because i don't want to leave anything out Sweet, but um the one of the conservative justices on the supreme court voted with the four liberal justices to restrict church attendance policies uh, during the pandemic declaring that the gatherings of uh, that church gatherings are more similar to concerts and sporting events um <laughs> and uh okay yeah. go on and so the the two things that I find out that I find um about this particular story are first and foremost this is a story about religious persecution um but there is also a very extremely telling issue at, about um just from the outside perspective looking in at churches and and how people view churches um and i wanted to, to, to make no mistake that this particular situation is like the first wave of religious persecution in america it is religious persecution what is going on is uh, this churches are not getting to exercise their first amendment rights it is probably a precursor of more to come which is scary but It's the world we live in right now. Uh, Our government is limiting how many people may gather to exercise their First Amendment rights of religious freedom. Uh, When the coronavirus first made its way to America, there was a cacophony of misinformation, worst-case scenario planning, panic, and a severe lack of knowing how to make the right decision. Uh, Mm -hmm. This is an unprecedented situation. This is a very real threat to life and to the well-being of all Americans and everyone around the world. And our government had to make very hard decisions to try to keep its people safe. And, uh, but something that's very important to remember is that the whole like social distancing thing was never designed to like fully stop the virus. The purpose of social distancing and and the goal was always to slow the virus just enough so that, um, we wouldn't overwhelm the hospitals there's a whole thing about flatten the curve. If we can just flatten the curve, mm. then then we'll be good. Mm-hmm. And, and what that meant was we didn't want so many people to need hospitalization that it would surpass the amount of hospitals in the nation. And uh, and you know, for a while it was it was rough. In some places they couldn't flatten the curve. There were people that died uh, because there were too many people hospitalized. That was a very real issue, um, but. Where we are right now We're past that We're past the worst of it We have uh, Our hospitals have the uh, Equipment They have the facilities They have the training to handle Any sort of resurgence And the general public is also Better informed to make their own decisions Uh, More people Will probably still wear masks for a while More people will try to, to Avoid handshaking They'll avoid touching things you know people are going to be more conscious about this and these two things the hospitals having better training better equipment and people having better information we should be allowed to open back up and make our own decisions Uh, for a time we just we needed to halt everything in order to flatten the curve in order to figure out what was going on in order to see just how dangerous this disease was we we needed that but we don't anymore and, um, mm-hmm. the government did their job and now it is their time to discharge us as, uh, as their patients, but they aren't. And people are antsy enough to burn down their cities. Um, so that was also kind of a nod to the panic that's going around right this second that hopefully will be over soon. But, uh, how much of the riots going on right now are just from people that are just so powder kegged up that this Match was lit, and now cities are burning down. Um, They just needed something like this to to spark them off. Moving on, there is no logic behind the decision to keep churches closed while opening up cannabis stores. There is no reason to keep churches closed and allow Home Depot to remain open. There is a distinct targeting against churches and it has not been bipartisan. For the most part, the states that have had the most strict restrictions on churches have had democratic governors. uh, Christians and Christian morals have been the biggest thing to stand in the way of quote-unquote progression. And uh, we would be foolish to say that that has not played a part here. However, all of that said, I want to move on to a different thing. Uh, this is this is the more interesting thing that I wanted that I wanted to talk about. Uh, justice Roberts, the conservative justice who sided with the four Liberals, said uh, that the restriction of allowing churches to reopen at twenty five percent of their capacity with no more than 100 worshipers at a time quote unquote appear consistent with the First Amendment. Uh, he also said, uh, that similar or more severe limits apply to concerts, movies, and sporting events Where large groups of people gather in close proximity for extended periods of time It's important to note that these three uh, the, the, the three things that he compares them to They're all entertainment industry um, He didn't say things like TED Talks, lectures, or conferences But even if he had that wouldn't still be that there would still be a, a big difference to think about, because the entertainment industries and uh, places of learning don't have the same constitutional protection that churches and places of worship have, and so to say that churches are the same or in the same group uh, as uh, movies, sporting events, and concerts is to imply that churches are places of entertainment
2: that sounds like a problem to me it sounds like a big problem and if what you're implying here means that the outside perspective um, I don't know what Roberts and the liberal justices I have no idea about their, their church background or anything like that but if assuming that they're on the outside looking in um, tomorrow the newsboys um, I I can't help but question well <laughs> don't see them comparing it to a concert uh, other entertainment as um, and, and seeing the church as almost a sideshow uh, or mm-hmm. entertainment which is not the purpose of the church at all. No. Um, so where is there room for the church to go about its mission? Um, and it, it feels very much like it has been curtailed, but maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. And, uh, and so I just, I had
1: some questions that I, I kind of wanted to ask and um, just kind of follow up questions. How much has the church's seeker sensitivity led us to look like the entertainment industry to an outsider? Uh, I've I've seen a meme before that had two back-to-back pictures. Both of them looked like a, a like low lights, fog machines, mm-hmm. spotlights and stuff. <laughs> and it said, uh, if the church that you go to on Sunday morning looks just like the club you went to on Saturday night, then you have a problem. <laughs> And in, uh, I mean, how much truth is there to that? Like, if Justice Roberts—and I don't know anything about him—but if Justice Roberts looks at the stereotypical North American church and says that just looks like a concert and a TED talk to me, I'm going to lump them up in the same in the same category in my mind. That these Christians—they don't need their outlet of entertainment. They, they, they don't. They aren't. That doesn't fall under their constitutional rights you know how much has seeker sensitivity led us to this and uh and is it possible that after years of trying to draw in the masses by offering palatable wares is the church now simply reaping what it has sown being treated like just another place of entertainment hmm. it's nice that you can, if you like sit down and like type something out, you can make a really eloquent question. But when you're trying to think of something on the fly, it just comes out
2: like, so what about them bears? (laughs) Well, this is why I do prefer to script everything (laughs) uh, that I, I say, you know, I don't get that opportunity all the time, but it does help me think about what I'm going to say. And I guess this is honestly the first time I've I've read through what you've written here, Um, but it does strike me as, wait a minute here, church, didn't we kind of put ourselves in that category? What is the purpose of the church? And is the purpose of the church... Um, to provide a place for worship, obviously, an outsider is not going to understand worship. They're not going to understand what we do when we come to um, come to worship God in through through singing, of course, through uh, prayer, through the the Lord's Supper, um, through uh, these means of grace, right? Through the reading of Scripture, through prayer, uh, corporate prayer, and Instead, uh, they've taken that to be now uh, lumped everybody in with entertainment. I'm just curious, like where where does the church go from here? Does do we try to distance ourselves from that, at least uh, ones that would not want to be that, um, or is this a sort of like kind of what we have to live with now? And we have the stigma of being the not quite as good as going to the movies, but they have a pretty good band. Yeah. Place. You know? And, uh, I have a quote
1: that I thought about pulling up. I don't, I'll have to like seriously dig through a ton of stuff to find this. And so this will be on follow up for next episode, but it's, uh, it's a, it's a doozy, mm-hmm. but, I think ultimately nothing's going to happen. Uh, the, the churches that that like their concert and a TED talk are going to continue liking their concert and a TED talk. The churches that actually get down to the nitty gritty of being a church are going to continue getting down to the nitty gritty of being a church, and the world is just going to see elevation and Bethel and Hillsong and their concerts, and uh, and that's that's all they're going to see.
2: And well, I maybe, don't... yeah, maybe we could, uh, I don't know, put this, putting this out there. Maybe uh, the churches like that, we can just have stay closed and the churches where <laughs> there is uh true worship of the living God uh, maybe could be re- reopen.
1: Yeah, I tried telling Trump that one. <laughs> I think, I think he's just, uh... I, th- I think that he is completely focused on trying to nuke Twitter. At this point in time. Um,
2: Yeah. Apparently. This um, is why we don't talk about politics. Yeah, this is why we don't talk about politics. We're not very good at it. No, your part was great. My part, (laughs) however, was strained.
1: Eh. We we actually talked a lot less about this particular topic than I thought. I think mostly because I had it scripted out and knew it to avoid the rabbit trails. Also, I it th- that I think when getting into politics, you yeah. have to avoid rabbit trails because
2: that's just gonna be the... anyway yeah um i I have to think about that uh what you said here it, yeah I, I I don't know is this you said right up at the top that this is the first wave of mm-hmm. religious persecution? I really um, do believe so, and i I guess get some definitions out of the way. What does religious persecution look like? Um, I think it's gonna be very interesting.
1: I I don't know what continued religious persecution is going to look like. I think this is the first opportunity that a lot of liberal governors have had. Um, I would say that religious persecution moving forward is going to look, is going to vary depending on what happens with COVID because we don't Mm. know what's going to happen with COVID. Is it going to ever go away? Um, Mm. Is it going to come back each winter like the flu? Is it going to mutate and and our bodies are going to take decades to get used to it? Are we going to have massive pandemics every year from here on out? Um, These are the questions that all of the scientists are asking. Science! All caps. And, (laughs) um, you know, this is... These are things that we don't know. And that's what's making a lot of this so scary. That's why people are being so gung-ho about this whole social distancing thing. Um, But, man, where I am, like where I live, people are just completely over it. Uh, I took my entire family to Home Depot today to go buy paint. And, um, And there are some people wearing masks, but most people weren't. And nobody was really like trying to stay six feet apart from each other. And, uh, and it's crazy. But then you go places like my wife went to a UPS store to get something notarized. Mm -hmm. And they said that they, they were not wanting to let anyone in unless they had a mask. They said, we can't make you stay out, but we would, we highly prefer that you wear a mask. However, none of the employees are wearing masks. They were standing behind plastic <laughs> partitions. And I think one of them said, like there was a lady that was in front of my wife and she said that uh, she was like saying, you make me wear masks, mask, but you're not going to wear a mask. And he said, oh, I'm standing behind the partition. She's like, air is circulating. Oh. And she's like, air is circulating. He goes, yeah, but the COVID germs are heavier and they fall to the ground. <laughs> Science. Science. And then they said that they will not like... They, If you were going to sign anything, you had to wear a glove. And if you did not have a glove on you, they would sell you a glove for a dollar. A
2: dollar? (laughs) Can I just provide my own pen?
1: Right. I mean, it's like, what? I mean, so there's there's so much that's going on that's so crazy. Um, And... Um, uh, like the Goodwill was only letting like five people in the store at a time, but, but Home Depot is like, yeah, our doors are open. Like they have these signs out that are like line starts here. We have limited numbers of people and there's no one there. There's no employee there. Like <laughs> counting people going in. Everyone is a free for all. I mean, it's, it's crazy just what, what people are doing. Um, there was one day at work I had just gotten off the phone and I had my mask Mm -hmm. pulled down on onto my chin and I forgot to pull it back up. And Mm -hmm. so I'm standing six feet away from the next person by happenstance. And, uh, there's a lady at the window, not wearing a mask that that said, why is he not? Why does he have his mask pulled down? It's like, (laughs) I'm sorry. I didn't, I forgot that my mask was pulled down, but guess what? My mask is to protect me. If you want protection, you wear a mask. Like, I don't know. This is why we don't talk about politics.
2: Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, (laughs) um, something, 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 go back to work, America. Go back to work. Um, (laughs) Um. I, you know, I, I I guess, yeah, I could see some of that, but at the same time, I, I do wonder, I mean. One of the very popular phrases that was going on, at least in the circles I run in, which are very small and full of Reformed people, were saying things like, we have the opportunity to obey the 4th, the 5th, and the 6th Commandment all at the same time. Uh, doing church from you know afar or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then there were other churches, of course, that were uh, going crazy with like, uh, well, even uh, Jeff Durbin's church, they never quit. And so uh, they're like, hey, uh, you know, now you're jumping on this bandwagon. <laughs> so I don't
1: know. I'll just edit in a, a clever segue going in. Uh, but I'll This just, is a I'll clever just, segue. I'll just say one more time. And that's why we don't talk about politics. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to move on to not politics. Topic three, uh, this is kind of a continuation of uh, last episode. Last episode, we talked about the royalties argument and why oh. if we play a song in church, um, then you end up paying royalties to the songwriter, and if that person is using the money that it's getting from royalties to fund false theology, then we should avoid that. Uh, something that kind of came up several times throughout that episode was this kind of other idea that I didn't have a clever name for at the time, but I thought long and hard. And the best I could come up with was the complicit approval argument. I love it. That sounds fancy. It does. There's even a slash in it. Um, It, Ooh. Yes. So uh, I want to talk about how it's different from the royalties argument, how it's similar but also why it is uh, equally important to the royalties argument. This also is talking about like the it falls into the seventh category of questions about the origin of the song and who wrote it. Um, okay. And so uh, the idea behind this argument is that when a church sings a song, is the church putting its stamp of approval on the songwriter? um similarly is the church complicit with the spreading of the overall message of the songwriter and this is a lot grayer than than the uh than the royalties argument and so i I want to say Mm -hmm. that from the from the get-go this is a lot grayer this is a lot deeper like philosophical stuff and this is this particular question is why i I are I kind of went back and forth on whether or not I wanted a seventh segment of questions, whereas the mm-hmm. royalties argument is a lot, a lot stronger of an argument. Um,
2: Seven would be a, a Christian, whole, a Christian number.
1: number. Yes, it would be. And that you are not the first person to tell me that with this grouping <laughs> of stuff. So anyway, uh, the argument is very similar to the royalties argument in that uh, we do put our stamp of approval on the song in question. With the royalties argument, we say – I am willing to pay you this uh, for this song. I'm willing to pay the songwriter for the song with the complicit approval argument. We are saying I am willing to publicly approve this song. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's, there's no question about that. When we choose a song, we are saying I approve of this song. Otherwise you wouldn't choose the song. Why would you sing a song that you don't approve of uh, when you get the choice? So, uh, you know, you may not get the choice, but someone did. Somebody, somebody put their stamp of approval on it by choosing the song. So mm-hmm. the question we then ask in response to this public approval: so if we are giving this public approval of a song, is um, how far does the public approval go? If I publicly approve of a Bethel song, uh, there will at least be one person who interprets that as I am approving of all of Bethel's music and potentially all of their philosophies as well. And, Mm -hmm. uh, this can go both ways. The person might judge me negatively for my support of a quote unquote ministry that they disapprove of, but that person might also uh, look further into that ministry because of my support of them. So what I mean is, You know, someone if I play a Bethel song, someone in the congregation might say, "Ooh, Bethel." There is someone I should go and look up. Uh, But they also might be say, "Oh, this guy likes Bethel." Well, I can't stay here, and so both of those things might happen just by me Mm -hmm. doing a Bethel song. Uh, Sure. The 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 deeper implication is that the music minister who supports a subpar songwriter is also complicit in spreading their false theology, Uh, and this is even grayer. I'm admitting that this is, this is not always a fair argument, but this is an actual message that choosing songs conveys to those who are listening. So if I choose a song, um, by Bethel and I'm just going to choose the lion and the lamb, that's a song that we do. It's a song written by, um, Leland, who is a member of the Bethel worship community. Uh, uh, Brian Johnson has a songwriting credit on that song um, And so if I sing The Lion and the Lamb Somebody might look at the copyright information And say, Brian Johnson, I should look up more by him And, and then they find Bethel And uh, that person may become offended And they might say, look at what all Bethel is doing They are spreading this false gospel and my church, is paying the royalties. You know, they are uh, they are singing the song. They are supporting this ministry. Uh, that may, and they may then say, my music minister is complicit in the damage that is being done. Um, as I said, it's not really a fair argument, but it is a potential message. And so, um, and so that's kind of. The, the, that's, that's the meat behind this particular argument is um, what messages are we in an unintentionally portraying by the choosing of one song? Uh, it's important to note that this argument differs from the royalties argument and that there is no way to measure it with the royalties argument. You can trace the exact dollar amount given to the songwriters. However, people are rarely completely vocal when they make a judgment, whether correctly or incorrectly about how much music uh, or how much their music minister actually approves of the songwriter. Um, There are plenty of people who will voice their opinions about the music and uh, they will be very vocal and you can do nothing right. And so most of those people that, Mm -hmm. that are very vocal, no matter what you do, I was a music minister at a church and we were like doing 75% hymns. And there's this guy in my Mm -hmm. church that says, we don't do enough hymns. What he meant was we don't have a pianist.
3: Mm.
1: And so, and we didn't have a pianist. We couldn't, there's nobody that could play the piano. And so there was absolutely no way to make this guy happy because we were doing like 75% hymns. And those guys, you're going to just ignore them. They'd become white noise after a while. But there are, mm-hmm. are other people in the congregation, and I would, I would argue that everyone in the congregation has an opinion about the music, but you're not going to hear most of it. And so the vast majority of the people that are having these judgments of you based on your music, you're not going to hear it. And, and so you can't measure what messages you're really giving out, like what messages you're unintentionally giving out. Um, and the truth, the, the truth of the situation is you, you can never know what everyone thinks about you. And you can also, you can't control what people think about you. However, no matter what you do, people will make inaccurate assumptions about what you believe. Uh, those are just, those are just truths that they're part of the job and you, uh, you know, you, you have to be as sensitive as you can about the message that you're conveying. And when you can make a choice that will make a correct message, like when you, when you can make a choice to convey the message that you want to make, you should make that choice. And so my advice to all music ministers is if you disapprove of a songwriter or of the ministry that they're associated with, just don't choose the song. Just, just don't do it. If, if you disagree very heatedly with the ministry, but they have a good song that that other people in the band like, just don't sing it. Um, likewise, if the music minister does approve of a particular songwriter or ministry, Sing as much of their stuff as you want. Uh, don't don't let people get you down for that. You know, we sing a lot of Sandra McCracken. We also sing a fair amount of modern post and uh, and a couple other Mars Hill stuff. Uh, we we I've been at churches that sing a lot of Sovereign Grace. I've been at churches that have sung a lot of Gettys. and a lot of times they become self conscious and they think. Oh, I should stop playing Gettys. I, I play them way too much. But if you're like really wanting to support that ministry, you know, give them the royalties. Don't give the royalties to someone you don't uh you, you don't approve of. You know, don't don't slap your approval on on a ministry that you disapprove of when you have the choice to choose someone you do. And uh and so that's 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 my advice uh to music ministers.
2: Good on you for realizing that the one particular individual the, who is complaining, we don't sing enough hymns, that the real issue there was not necessarily the content nor the actual hymns that you were singing, but rather the, the fact that there was no pianist uh, playing along with the songs that made it feel like a, a hymn, uh, perhaps to this, this person. And I think that's important too. There's a there's a part of a minister or a music minister's job to be ethnographers of the culture around them to understand. Um, this is what I believe. I we'll we'll see what other people think, but um, to to understand the culture around them to the point where they're able to under uh, to know how certain choices are going to affect those people, right? Yeah. Um, so that they can understand, oh, this person is really just complaining about the, the uh, not the content of the songs at all, but the, the piano. And that helps pro- help them make better decisions about how to address individual uh, circumstances too. Um, being able to discern, what is the real issue at the heart of uh, one of these kinds of, of um, questions? Right. Yeah. Now I get that that was probably a little bit tangential to your main point, but uh, yeah, I mean, but in a way it does go right along with that because understanding what people are going to take as complicit approval. um, Maybe that, means that you are consciously, you know, like you said, choosing from uh, bands and writers and whatnot that you know their heart, know that they're um, truly uh, seeking to serve God. Uh, Maybe it's that you are seeking, hey, uh, look, we do need to incorporate more scripture into our worship service or more uh, prayer into our worship service um, yeah. things like that but it just helps you uh, maybe understand where how some of that's going to fall on yeah, uh, the congregation yeah and
1: uh, I think it's it's also kind of important to think about this particular issue um, as kind of the, the argument of the food sacrifice to idols oh yeah Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if someone were to give me a song, and I didn't recognize the the person's name, like there's there's a credit on there, I don't recognize this guy's name, and I listen to the song, and it like it holds, um, uh, mm-hmm. I'm not going to do an intense background check on the songwriter. I'm I'm not going to try to figure out what is what does he believe, what is the uh, what are the minute details of his personal theology and where are the glaring holes that are going to make me look bad if I play the song I, I'm, I'm not going to do that and I don't think anyone should um, if if I were to find out later that he was a homosexual um, and that the song was actually written to his boyfriend then you know I'm going to make some some changes however I would hope that that particular situation wouldn't come up and see, this is why I script things out. I didn't script that part out. <laughs> um, I, I would say it also, it also falls in the pastoral staff and their discipleship of the church to help the church discern how to judge songs on their own merit. Uh-huh. And, and that way, if, if the church has a culture of personal, uh, discernment, like if they're, if the average congregant has a high level of, of discernment then you could probably play that one Bethel song and, uh, and they're not going to instinctively like think that I'm supporting all of Bethel. Um, And, and so there's, there is that, but I also think that like full transparency is the best practice in this case. And that's to avoid the unintentionally leading people toward false teachers you know, if if I'm at in a position where I can explain my song choices in, in such a way um, that it ministers to to the people around me, then that gives you more freedom to choose things. Um, and kind of in, in a in a different direction, because uh, the 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 royalties argument. Uh, didn't apply to songs in the public domain. You know, I can choose whatever song in the public domain. I'm not paying royalties to anyone. Therefore, it's exempt from the royalties argument. But the complicit agreement argument still applies to songs in the public domain. Um, the good news is uh, most songs in the public domain have been there for a very long time and have stood the test of time. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that does two things. One, the cream of the crop rises over time. And so most of the songs that are in the public domain, that are in like, our hymnals, um, those songs, for the most part, are going to contain decent theology. Some of them don't. Some of them are stinkers. But the ones that get sung, the ones that are in most churches' repertoires, they've got decent theology in them. They at least uh, don't have glaring heresies in them. But another good thing about the test of time is that if there was a person that had, that held to a really bizarre theology, it's usually been divorced from the song. If it's not in the song, like I couldn't tell you any of um, Horatio Spafford's personal theology. All I can Mm -hmm. say is that it is well with my soul is an excellent song. And Mm -hmm. most theologians would agree with me on both of those accounts. Uh, His, his cultish theology was completely divorced from the song and therefore his beliefs don't mar the song. Um one day there might possibly in there might be some Hillsong song that stands the test of time. Uh I I doubt it, but there might be and in a hundred years from now, if one random song still happened to make it, then you would, you may be able to sing it with a clear conscience because it will have been divorced from the, um, from the health and wealth gospel that kind of fueled a lot of those songs. Um, and so I just kind of want to point that out. But I, I wanted to kind of end this particular topic on the idea that um, there are hundreds of thousands of songs to choose from. And so there is never a reason to feel pressured or to feel like you have to choose any one song for any reason. Um, there will always be a psalm that will fit your need. Uh, you, yeah. may, you may need to write a new tune for it if you don't like the tune that is most commonly associated with it, or you might need to, to write your own paraphrase for it. Um, you know, Or if you're up for it, you can write your own song that perfectly reflects your, the theology of your church. Um, and not everyone can write music, but those that can, I think, should be. But um, for those of you that can't write your own music, uh, there is something out there for you. It, it's called the, the Worship Song Generator. It is uh, put out by our good friends at the Babylon Bee and, and this thing, this thing is, it's just a thriving Yahweh deluge. That's what it is. A what? A thriving Yahweh deluge. That was the name of the song that it gave me when I went to go generate a worship song. <laughs> uh, you, just, you just click into it and it just generates a song. It gives you a verse. It gives you a chorus. It gives you a bridge. It gives you a chord chart. Um, you have to write your own tune. That's the only downside. But... Uh, it, it also tells you how you many times you're supposed to repeat everything. Uh, so this is this is the one that it gave me. This is just a randomly generated worship song. Here's the verse: We're here, Lord. We can't wait to get our worship on. And you you repeat that four times.
2: Okay. Okay. okay.
1: Then you go into the chorus. We love to live to honor you. We live to love to praise you. And you, <laughs> and you, you repeat that four times. Um, so then you go back into the verse. You do that again four times. Go back into the chorus. And then you build, you build, you build. You get to the bridge. And we'll stand in awe of your sloppy wet kisses forevermore. Sixteen times.
2: That's... That's a lot of time.
1: That's a lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> and the and your chords are G D E minor C. Which, by the way, uh huh. Every chord chart that they that they that they gave her is G D E minor C. So
2: that's oh,
1: excellent. Yeah.
2: Can you give me a good G D E minor C progression?
1: Yeah, that's. Uh, you, you want me to actually give that to you now? Hold on, because I I can, mean, cause I can do that. Hold
2: we on. maybe we should sing this.
1: Alright, hold on I can give you This is horribly out of tune
2: Sounds like a worship song already We're here Lord We can't wait
1: to get our worship on We're here Lord We can't wait to get our worship on. We're here Lord. We can't wait to get our worship on We're here Lord. We can't wait to get our worship on. We love to live to honor you. We live to love to praise you. We love to live to honor you. We live to love Praise you. I'm not gonna repeat it four times. <laughs> That's all You're I'm gonna do. Great. I'm yeah, I'm I'm not gonna risk waking up my kids for the rest of that, so that was that was on the fly. That was not prepared. I didn't even you, I just had my guitar sitting there. You said G D E minor C and I just went for it. That, that is that is how we do things here. At the bomb of Galahad
2: <laughs> well uh it has been uh tremendous uh hearing from you uh and this new song is going to sweep the uh worship market like crazy um I believe so. such a thing yes my,
1: my my favorite line that this generator generates is um uh, let your love run me over like a dump truck. <laughs> oh my word. Yes. That one—that one's the best. Um, oh, that's great. Yeah. I think they launched it and it had almost like immediately like within the first weekend, like 200,000 generated songs. Did they really? Because people just kept doing it over and over again. So,
2: I would not doubt it. Yeah, Um, but that oh my goodness, that is hilarious.
1: Yes, thank you for sending me that link. By the way, that was.
2: You are very welcome. That that was gold. (laughs) (sighs) All Um, right. My worship song is "Thriving Creator River." Ooh, um, but okay. Thriving, oh, you got to tell me, you got to do it. Thriving Creator River. Uh, The verse is uh, repeated four times and it's Your electricity is sparking All around us now Jesus Um, You repeat that four times and then chorus Is your favorite run Mm -hmm. us over Like a dump truck yes And you repeat that eight times And the bridge is (laughs) And the bridge is we won't stop We can't stop
1: we won't stop. We can't stop.
2: Repeated eighteen times. <laughs> Run us over like a dump truck.
1: G D E minor C.
2: Uh, yes. How do you know? <laughs>
1: All right. For those of you playing at home, uh, G D E minor C is like every worship song. Like that's that was a that that was a nice nod. Uh, sometimes you'll get a good G C e minor d or even occasionally you'll get a c g d e minor those are those are some good very original but chord.
2: why not a g sustained chord
1: that is the holiest chord the g sus mm, mm-hmm. yes though the disciples they preferred or, the they preferred that one a chord how they traveled.
2: 1a Oh dear. We're we're not ending this on a dad joke, are we? That was terrible.
1: That was that was, that was terrible. <laughs>
2: um all right.
1: So, a little bit of a setup. Um uh, the church is the bride of Christ, and keep that in mind. Though there be those that hate her and false sons in her pale Against both foe and traitor She ever shall prevail There is a
0: bone in To make the wound
2: Thank you for listening to the balming gilead podcast we love hearing from you so email us at there is at balmcast.com we are a part of the tech reformation family of podcasts and you can discuss our show and much more at slack.techreformation.com we'll see you there if you enjoyed the balming gilead podcast please encourage others to listen we value your feedback so rate, review, and recommend the show in your podcast app of choice. And with that, we'll see you next time on the Balm in Gilead podcast.
1: There, there was um, one point of feedback that I, I really did appreciate that we we didn't actually cover in the episode, um, and that was uh, I got a uh, I got a text from someone actually. It was probably the best uh-huh. the best praise that I've ever gotten for this show, and I just want to share it with oh. you. It said, uh, it said, I really love our show.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I, I do. (laughs) I really do.